Microfinance is basically miniaturizing science. Just it's almost like a new frontier in science in my mind. Hello, listeners. You're here with Mira, your host for Case Confirmed today. Our special guest is Dr. Catherine Elvira, who received her PhD from Imperial College London in chemistry with a special focus in digital microfluidic platforms to perform automated chemical reactions. After her PhD, Dr. Elvira moved to ETH Zurich, Switzerland, first as a postdoc researcher and then as a senior scientist in the Institute for Chemical and Bioengineering. Since 2017, Dr. Elvira is the Canada Research Chair in New Materials and Techniques for Health Applications and an assistant professor in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Victoria in Canada. The Elvira Lab develops microfluidic technologies to build bespoke artificial cells and tissues for drug discovery applications. In 2020, Dr. Elvira was awarded a Michael Smith Foundation for Health Research Scholarship in partnership with the Pacific Alzheimer Research Foundation. My first question, Dr. Elvira, is just about your journey and how you became interested in microfluidics, beginning with your initial interest and then maybe your present day research interests as well and how it's evolved over time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for inviting me to to be on this podcast. It's really exciting to be able to talk a bit about what I do. Um, So I'm actually a chemist by training. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in the UK in chemistry, and it's a bit different to North America because we choose um, the full subject that we will kind of focus on completely, almost like a year before we start university. So you apply to university already with that degree in mind. Those last two years on, on, in high school, you're only doing three or four subjects. So you, so you really are specializing quite quickly. And so I, I studied pretty much full-on chemistry as an undergraduate student but but one of the like great studies about being a chemist is that it's quite broad even within just one subject and it has a lot of applicability to other areas and so in our final year at university we were we we were able to pick from a lot of different I guess research fields in terms of going to lectures and learning what they were about so I did a course on microfidics as a fourth year that was really interesting and I think what captured my imagination during that course was effectively almost the same reason that I'm still doing microfinics a few few years later, I won't say how many. And it's, it's basically the, the power of this, of this new technology. So microfinics is basically miniaturizing science. I can go into more detail about that later if we want. Mm-hmm. But when you are able to do this type of things with this technology, then it opens a lot of different types of experiments that you can do, a lot of types of different tests, a lot of, yeah, it's just it's almost like a new frontier in science in my mind. And so, yeah, we haven't reached the end of discovering all those new frontiers. And so that was what, what hooked me at the beginning and then what kind of keeps me going with what we can do with it nowadays. Okay, that's great. And so that's really interesting. I didn't know that about the UK system, actually. That's that's really interesting. Um, it must be yeah. difficult for people that have, uh, that sort of want to keep their options open, right? Because they have to yeah. decide early. <laughs> yeah. It is. I do see pluses and minuses in both systems, right? Like now, 
there's too much freedom perhaps in some ways because it makes it really hard to choose right True. everything's so interesting how do you focus True. Um, but you know one of I don't say regrets because I don't like having regrets in life but you know I really wish I had been able to study for example more biology and more biochemistry at university because I feel like sometimes I lack that that fundamental knowledge and this is you know an area which we're working in nowadays for example um, but we can still learn. <laughs> um, and sometimes yeah. I do have to read basic biology books to understand some new concept. And that's great. That's one of the beauties of being an academic is that we get to continue learning. I guess that's the cost of specializing in something, right? It's just having, yeah. you know, having to fill in the, the broader knowledge. But I think that, you know, what you're doing is very exciting work. And um, we're really happy to have you on the show. So thanks for awesome. speaking to us. So in terms of healthcare, what do you think are the most exciting applications of this, as you called it, miniaturizing science um, technology? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, well, it's, it's broad. There's so many, many advantages. Let's start with the most obvious one. So, um, you know, you, you want to be able, you go to doctor and, and normally to diagnose you, they'll need to do some type of test. Let's take something super easy like a blood test or a urine test or something like that. And normally you end up having to go somewhere, you know, provide the sample. The sample is quite big, right? They're taking several vials of of, of blood or, or a nice big, you know, chunk of urine. Absolutely. Um, and, and then they go away and they do the test and they have to send it to a specialized lab. Um, it takes days or a week. And then finally you have to go back to the doctor and get those results um, and figure out what's going on, right? And and that's that's for very simple tests, right? Even iron levels or something like that, you would have to do something a bit similar to this. But mm-hmm. even for more complicated tests, right? Oh, you've got a lump. Um, let's do a biopsy on that. Let's see what it is, right? And and then you have to go into surgery because they're cutting out a big chunk of something to to test. They send it away. You're worried, right? You're waiting for a couple of weeks for those results. Um, and so what? Microfedix has the potential to do is is to do rapid testing, rapid testing on really small amounts um, of of bodily fluids or, or bodily um, tissues, right? Um, and so the the reason why we can do this is because we basically make yet yeah, tiny tiny features on our chips that allow us to just manipulate tiny amounts of reagents or tissues or cells or whatever. And it's very fast. So theoretically, in the future, we're not there yet, but we're getting there. You know, you could go into your doctor's office, um, they could take a pinprick of your blood or a tiny amount of urine or a tiny sample of your skin or your tissue, um, put it in a chip that they have there um, and get the results straight away. So I'm, I'm obviously slightly exaggerating and pushing to the limit what we could do. But the, the goal is that, is that we will be able to have rapid tests um, for checking what we can do. So that's that's the simplest, I guess, or the most obvious advantage of these technologies. There's another one that I find really interesting as well, and it's the potential for personalized medicine. Absolutely. Um, right? It's, it's, it's great. It's, it almost sounds like a sci-fi movie, right? Um, <laughs> yes. But it makes sense, right? Like when we look back and we already do that, right? If you have something something like cancer, you know, chemotherapy is a brutal therapy, right? It's, it's very It's very hard on the body. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but it's horrible on the body. You're hoping to kill your bad cells faster than you kill your good cells, right? And, and that's... Right. That's the fundamental side. But the other side to that is that we forget that obviously we're all different, right? And so we all react to different um, therapies and medicines in different ways. Or um, imagine we went further down and we wanted to do something that's specifically 
you know, targeted to a specific gene that you have and someone else doesn't have or whatever, right? Um, and so with microfilics, we can do that type of analysis. And there's already initial work in this field as well, where you take, say, a sample from a, from a tumor biopsy from a patient, um, you split it up into lots of different um, samples, and then you test it against lots of different regimes of drugs, right? Because chemotherapy is normally a bit of a cocktail of drugs, um, and then you can see, you know, this patient responds best to this exact combination of these chemotherapy drugs. Fantastic. Let's go and give them that in the hospital. Um, so that's not a diagnostic tool, really. It's, it's more a personalized medicine. What exact combination should I we give see. you here? So you can tailor yeah. the treatment to the patient's body, essentially. Yeah, that's the aim. That's the aim. And so that's going to make it so that there's fewer side effects from the chemotherapy and people will presumably recover faster. So that's a huge application. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm giving um, you, of course, the, you know, the big holy grails of the field, right? <laughs> yes. The people are definitely working in these, in these areas and making small steps in that direction. No, this is great. This big picture overview is definitely what, uh, what we need. <laughs> kind awesome. of get, the, get the big picture overview and then, yeah, we can talk in more detail about a few of these uh, specific applications as well. So do you think of anything you know, since COVID is sort of the big uh, issue right now over time, um, do you think of any COVID-specific applications related to microfluidics? Yeah, there are actually. So there's a company um, that started um, at UBC in Vancouver called Abcelera, started um, by a microfluidics professor there and his his partners. And they use microfluidic technologies. I don't really know <laughs> a lot about it, but they <laughs> use microfluidic technologies to develop parts of the mRNA COVID vaccines, which was really interesting. Um, oh, wow. And so, yeah, so so this is kind of a few steps removed from that idea of, of testing in place or personalized medicine. So this is kind of a few steps removed from that idea of, of testing in place or personalized medicine. Um, but it leverages kind of another of the advantages of these systems, which is that we can do lots and lots and lots of reactions or assays in a very little amount of time, theoretically seconds. And so then that means that if you're looking for a new drug, for example, or looking for something that specifically reacts with something on the cell or whatever, um, you can try all these millions of combinations really fast, right? Right. Um, and so from a biological perspective, that's really interesting because biology is extremely complicated, right? Each cell mm -hmm. in your body or in different tissues of your body is different. And so, you know, that combination and being able to do all those combinations and permutations of drug A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, combined with all the different cell types or whatever you're doing, I'm just, I'm just creating a, a, a mind uh, image here. Right. Um, that's another power of this technology that we can leverage for drug discovery, basically. So it's going to really revolutionize how quickly new drugs are discovered um, in a process that would ordinarily take much, much longer. Well, that's what we hope. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I think that's great. And in terms of other innovative applications of this technology, do you think that there's any, any sort of unexpected um, application that you discovered that you maybe didn't anticipate? Oh, that's a hard question. You mean when I, as, as a researcher? Or yes. when I was... Yeah. yeah, as a researcher, um, I think if it, I think maybe if I explain what microfluidics is, 
then I would be able to answer that question better. <laughs> Does okay. that sound good? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's fine. So I, it's, a, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, yeah, so microfedic technologies um, are basically tiny little chips the size of a postage stamp. And when I say chip, people automatically think of something made out of silicon or something that you, right. you know, a computer, computer chip chips. or something like that. Yes. Exactly. Um, potato chips, part, computer yeah, chips. potato chips. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out um, that that's what people thought when I said chip, because obviously in my mind, as soon as I say microfidic chip, I visualize a microfidic chip. But <laughs> um, yes, um, I think my husband had to point that out once. Yeah, so, you know, there are, you know, we do do, well, in the field, you can use more of that type of kind of electronic chip as well. But usually what we mean is is something just small made out of some kind of see-through plastic or something like that. And on it, what we've done is we've imprinted tiny features like pipes or little chambers or channels and things like that that allow us to move around liquids. So in my mind, what I, I see is kind of this huge chemical factory. I don't know if you can visualize a chemical <laughs> factory, but they normally have these big vats of reagents and pipes connecting them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you could put, take all of those features and put it on a, on a tiny piece of plastic, um, and then what you're doing is you're doing that same kind of chemistry or the same reactions or the same biological assays um, but on a scale of, I mean, those pipes on our chip are effectively the, the scale of a human hair, right? right. Um, and so the engineering side of our research is that we spend quite a lot of time designing these these features on the chip that allow us to, you know, bring two liquids together or two reagents together and mix them and then perhaps separate them out and mix them with something else and then do some analysis on them. And so that's kind of the engineering. It's, it's fluid engineering from that perspective. And so from the perspective of your initial question, you know, what do we, what was unexpected? I I don't know. I think, you know, it's a very broad technology and broadly applicable. I think the most um, random thing we've done on a chip is, is got nothing to do with healthcare. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we did, um, we, we doing some work with um, a microbrewery here in Victoria, Phillips. Oh, Um, interesting. Yes. See, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, effectively, we do beer on a chip, right? I didn't that really see cool. that one coming. <laughs> that was that was kind of weird, um, but super fun. But yeah, nothing to do with public health, unfortunately. Um. <laughs> beer on a chip—that's that's really interesting. Yep, sounds like a band name or something too. Um. It does. <laughs> they, one of my students came up with micro and I was like, "Yep, that works." Micro <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, so that's that is a really unexpected um, kind of twist. I'm sure it came up in your research. And do you think that there's any? Do you have any funny or interesting stories to tell as well from like the lab? Sometimes I'm curious to hear about you know sort of day to day life kind of. Yeah. So I yeah. think the weirdest thing about our labs, and I still laugh about this, you know, every time it happens, is how obsessed my students are with keeping it clean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've lived in shared houses. I spent most of my, all of my 20s, I think, living in shared houses, right? And yes. all, you know, you love them to bits. They're your housemates. It's fantastic. But realistically, the kitchen's always disgusting, right? And the bathrooms are disgusting. And it takes a lot of effort to, to you know, come together and clean. <laughs> um, and in my lab, consistently throughout the years um, in Victoria, how many years has it been? Like four or five years now, um, I keep getting, you know, my group come to me in group meeting almost like they have to convince me like Catherine can we 
can we set up a group cleaning rotor for the lab? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Um, and the reason for that basically is obviously if you have these tiny features on a chip, like anything, any tiny piece of dust that you can barely see with your naked eye can block our channels, right? It's, it's basically plumbing. So, <laughs> you know, right. real plumbing, you chuck a bunch of, you know, rice down, this, down the drain in your kitchen, um, you're going to get a blockage for us, that's dust. And so... I never have to tell them to clean the lab. We keep getting told by like safety inspections, oh, your lab is so clean. <laughs> but it's because, you know, they keep seeing you have experiments to. get screwed up, right? And yeah. so, so they lead that and that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's their choice. But I just, I laugh. I just kind of wonder if their houses are that clean, you know, or, or you know, no. what their parents would think, you know, is, is this where they learn to be clean? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it is funny. It's funny to me. It's funny. You're giving people great life skills in addition to the education they're getting. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, they, they wrote a whole procedure about how to clean it. They all get together on Fridays. I've never had complaints about people not turning up. Like it's, it's great. It's also funny to me how, so the majority of, of doctors and scientists that I've interviewed have always compared their job to plumbing, like whether it's a, a, a surgeon or like whoever it is. And then when you brought that up, I was like, oh, so you're like a micro plumber. Okay, yeah, this, exactly. this analogy has been coming up so many times. It is so funny. That's really interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, it must be it must be very detail oriented, just kind of high attention work where you, you know, you just is. Am I right about that? You can't really afford to take a break, yeah. so to speak. Like from well, I think one of the big advantages of what we do, just from a practical, you know, perspective, if you come to me and say, "Hey, I want to do graduate studies in, in your group," then I, you know, I think it's valid for me to tell you what your day to day life in the lab is going to look like, right? Right. Um, and and um, the good thing about our research is that our experiments tend to be really short, right? It might take, and it takes a long time to develop a new chip, right? Um, mm -hmm. A year at least, I would say, if we're going for something completely new. Um, but each individual experiment is short. So one of the things that I think was really driven home to us that we still knew during the pandemic. But, you know, when we had to close down all those labs, I have friends who are, who are you know, traditional biochemists from the perspective of not like me, who's mixing it up with some other subjects. But, you know, and they've been developing these systems for years. Right. And suddenly they had right. to close them down. That's that's a major um, break in the experiments. And then when you have to start them up again, you're looking at months to, to grow those cell lines again, for example. Oh, right? that's hard, yes. Right? And for yeah. us, it's not like that, right? The worst thing that happens is, okay, our solutions go slightly off. We have to make them again. But you're talking, you know, like when we book experiments, we, we're thinking half a day or a day, right? And so, so, that's, right. So, so from that perspective, that's really nice. But then put that together with the fact that my poor students have to learn to be engineers and biochemists and chemists. And so oh, you, you have a lot of information coming at you from a lot of sides. Um, oh, well, it's good that the pandemic wasn't as disruptive to your lab as it was to some of these other labs. Because that, yeah, yeah, that is pretty difficult, I'm sure, for them to bounce back from it the, is, yeah, the, a lot that of lapse. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think the pandemic has been generally very disruptive to universities, but I think they've been doing a pretty good job in circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I don't know about everywhere else in the world, but I have been happy generally with how things have gone in in BC. I think they've done the best they can um, under very difficult circumstances. Hopefully, we will learn a lot of things out of this um, from all perspectives. Um, yeah, 
yeah. about how to deal with global issues in future. That's that I'm going to be positive here. <laughs> I'm not going to be too cynical about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think that the pandemic will haunt us for a while, right? Um, but one of the great things was was how well I think the scientific community globally came. I feel like it came quite naturally the collaboration, right? Because we right. almost do this normally, right? It's a global. It's a, a global, global community. Yeah, it's yeah. a global community, right? Um, and maybe that's hopefully something we can learn from other perspectives as well. Who knows? True. True. No, that's that's a good... I like your positive approach to this. <laughs> good. The, Thank you. <laughs> after all the kind of doom and gloom news. So yeah. I think, but it's true. You have to kind of focus on the silver lining of everything as well. So anyway, this has been a good conversation. I mean, I would like to also give you a chance, though, to talk about... What excites you the most about your work and just sort of give you a chance to speak on whatever you'd like without tying it to any one of my questions? Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I really love my research, right? I, I am a super advocate <laughs> uh, for being an academic. It's really hard to do. And a lot of people um, don't get the jobs that they want. Um, and that's really sucky. So we've got some things to solve in academia. But I do really appreciate um, the setup generally, right? This idea of, okay, give some, give some people who like doing research, um, some freedom to think crazy ideas. And I think that's a really big resource for countries that, that see that, right? This is, this is where a lot of those crazy ideas come from that help us solve the problems in the future. Um, and I'm really lucky to be able to do that with, with my research. So we went on a slightly crazy route of thinking, well, can we use these tiny microfluidic chips to build what we call artificial cells and tissue? So this isn't a real cell, um, but what we're doing is we kind of hopefully at some stage building building a cell from scratch effectively. Okay, well, wow, we need, that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that's the big goal. Ask me in 15 years or something like that. Um, <laughs> we, we're taking steps in that direction. Um, so, you know, we, we started with trying to build the cell membrane on a chip but our major goal, which is, I think, what sets us slightly apart from other research groups, is that we do this based on human cells and basically for drug discovery processes. So it's like what I was saying before in right. terms of can we come up with other ways to test these new drugs before we, before we test them in, in humans, right? And, um, so, yeah, so we build these tiny artificial cells and tiny artificial tissues on a chip. Um, we've modeled like the intestine, we're playing around with the blood-brain barrier on a chip. We've looked at uh, cancerous artificial cells um, and how they degrade during cancer and how that affects how chemotherapy agents agents um, yeah, react to those cells effectively. And so that's really cool. It's, it's pretty out there as an idea. Um, and yeah, but, what, but it's very wow. different to what the, what the pharmaceutical industry do right now, right? What I like about this approach is it's, I mean, it's like you're pushing the boundaries of knowledge, not necessarily knowing like where it will lead you, but having faith in the process that it will lead you someplace really interesting and going. And that, I mean, I don't even know that it has to have direct applications to healthcare, right? I mean, just that the new knowledge that you're gaining from these experiments itself is valuable, regardless of whether there ends up being some kind of groundbreaking application of it or not. Totally agree, but that's a very, <laughs> I think that's a very wise and awesome <laughs> viewpoint. Thank you. Um, but you know that isn't how governments usually see research, right? They want us to have an application, which I, I do understand, right? We are funded by taxpayers' money, but I right. think allowing 
I mean, we don't normally think of creativity in terms of science, right? We think of creativity in terms of art. Um, but it's just as important in science. If we can't sit here and be creative and come up with crazy ideas, then no crazy ideas are going to happen. That might, you know, change change how we travel into space or change, you know, create electric vehicles, all these things that, that if you looked 10, 20 years before they became ideas that were obvious to everyone, sounded yeah. crazy, right? And so being able to have that create, creative creative freedom is really important in science. Yeah, and that really paid off with um, the people that were doing all those mRNA experiments and everything oh, yeah. long before. Yeah, I read, who was it? I, I'm forgetting which one. I read an article, I think it was in The Guardian, about um, one of the scientists that developed one of them. Ah, I can't remember who it was now. It was a long time ago. And she was saying that basically, um, yeah, it. her colleagues just thought she was crazy. Right? Yes, was about I think I remember story. reading yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And look at it now. It's it's. It's literally saved the world, right? Um, literally. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think my science is going to do that, I wish. but Oh, you but, know, yeah. it might. You never know. you got to yeah. <laughs> gotta trust yeah. in, in your work, too. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting and exciting work. So how would you, what would you recommend or what advice would you give to students that are potentially interested in your field but not fully sure about whether it's for them? Yeah, so one of the great things in Canadian universities um, is that we have courses or we generally have courses where you can do little like research courses as an undergrad. I didn't have this opportunity as an undergrad and I think it's really good, right? It, even if you don't end up wanting to be a researcher or whatever, um, it gives you um, the chance. It's almost like an internship, right? It gives you the chance to test it out and get grades for it, which is great. Um, and so if you have someone in your in your university who's doing microfidics or, or partially doing microfidics, that would be a great great place to look it up. So we've recorded a lot of a lot of seminars and videos and things. Like <laughs> oh that. And, yes, you know we're all over the internet in some ways. So there's way more resources out there than there used to be um, to have a look into our lab. Like you know we have a video about our lab, um, but I also have seminars online and things like that. Right, and um, it's totally worth. Yeah, learning about this in advance and seeing if it's something you like. Do you like the everyday aspect of it? Um, do you want to learn new subjects or do you want to kind of carry on with a subject that you've done as an undergrad, which is totally fine, right, and, and learn right. more in that area? Um, and, yeah, the major problem, I guess, is that we don't really teach this in undergraduate degrees because, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of things to teach in undergraduate yeah. degrees. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's exciting to do something new. And I think the most important thing, if you want to do a graduate degree or or if you want to do research anywhere, right, you don't have to do a graduate degree to do research, is that you're kind of excited about the subject because there's always going to be downsides <laughs> or right. down days or things when, you know, times when your experiment is not working or you work in a specific field, even if it's not research. You kind of have to believe in what you're doing, right? Um, yes. So that's, I guess, the same if you want to work in and science that you haven't really seen before. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So on some level, people need to kind of feel excited and called to it as well. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And, and uh, I'm sure listeners will really enjoy this conversation as well. It's, it's been really informative. And since this is such an exciting kind of emerging field with a lot of applications 
for healthcare. I mean, a lot of our listeners who are contemplating different career paths might even be influenced to go into it. So, yep. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Was, yeah, I'm advertising the field here now. Yes. <laughs> no, I did see a job recently, actually. I think it was in Merck or something like that. I don't know. One of the pharma companies. Um, um, yeah, they were looking for people to work in the area of microfetics. And I was like, oh, we, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> we know. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's coming. Interesting. I think it's coming. <laughs> Thank you so much for the invitation. This was really good fun. No problem. Have a good one. Take care. Have you, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.